Good morning, Adventuring Geeks. Eric here about to bring you the next Think Tank episode. And today I am kicking off the Halloween season with a discussion about the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman. I'm going to be discussing the first 10 volumes in the series as a whole and how it has been a staple in both comics and horror just going to throw the word into the wind here. It is a very difficult series to read because of the language and the imagery and the varying um, artists that work on it. So it it's a cha- it is somewhat of a challenge to read, but it is beautifully done. It has won multiple awards, and it's very rewarding to read, and I will be discussing that further in this episode, so stay tuned. All that is gold does not glitter. Not What is up, Adventure Geeks? Eric here, bringing you a Sandman episode. Before we get started, I will let you guys know that our main episode is probably going to be delayed till next week. Um, We are trying to think of something creative and special to do for our tenth episode, so that will be bring we'll we'll be bringing that to you next week, and we may even do a short episode tonight about the Joker because the three of us and a couple of our friends are going to see Joker tonight. So we might bring you a little review of that. Stay tuned for that. But today we are talking the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman. Written by Neil Gaiman. Artists include Sam Keith, Mike Drigenberg, Jill Thompson, Sean McManus, Mark Hempel and Michael Zuli. I will be focusing on the original 10 volumes today. So Preludes and Nocturnes, The Doll's House, Dream Country, Seasons of Mist, A Game of You, Fables and Reflections, Brief Lives, World's End, The Kindly Ones in the Wake. I recently just finished this series. It is a phenomenal series. However, it is a bit of a challenge to read, and that is because of it, – it reads more like a book. I mean, there, obviously, it's comics, so there's illustrations, but there's a lot of dialogue that you need to follow along, and the concepts are kind of abstract, so it, it, it reads it, – and this fits perfectly with the main character. It almost reads like a dream with the colors and the text and the way he goes uh, – Gaiman goes about telling the story and that is why I would definitely recommend this for mature readers not only because it's, it, it does have some like gore and suggestive uh, scenes in it like sexual scenes and and gory scenes but mostly because of the difficulty it 
it is to read the difficulty that it comes with to read it and that again is the way it's written the language itself can be almost i don't want to say shakespearean even though i'll get into it later but shakespeare actually is a character in this but it's got a more sophisticated language to it so it um it makes it a bit difficult to read and um every the beauty of this too is every single character plays a significant role throughout the series so even the obscure characters that you might not think has a big role in it they come back late like maybe two or three volumes later and makes an impact on the story so what how i'm going to do this is i'll probably just talk about the first volume through and through uh preludes and nocturnes because it really does set the tone and set the story for the rest of the volumes and then i'll briefly go into a couple of them that i think are important because if i were to go through all 10 this would probably be a five-hour episode uh, and i don't know if you guys want to listen to me talk for for five hours so um that's how i'll do it and then i'll get into um like the awards and how it impacted the DC universe and even the superhero universe uh, and how there actually might be some series coming out based on this. So yeah, uh, the first volume is, well, let me give a brief synopsis of the entire series just so you guys have a better understanding of what's going on here. So the Sandman is about the main character Dream, also known as Morpheus, and other names throughout the series. They who depending on the the religion and background of the character, they call him different names. But he is one of the seven endless. So he's basically an embodiment of dreams. So he it's it it goes along with how Gaiman plays with anthro anthropomorphic characters. So this is the embodiment of dream. He has his own dream world. He's responsible for giving you dreams when you go to sleep at night. And then he has brothers and sisters, also of the Endless. He's one of seven. And the other ones are Destiny, Death, Desire, Despair, Delirium, or formerly known as Delight and Destruction. It Yeah, like, like I was saying, it's famous for Gaiman's trademark use of anthrop- anthropomorphic personification of metaphysical entities so of course you have death who is the embodiment of death she comes when your life has ended uh you have desire who is known for giving you lust and love and all that sort of thing destiny he's kind of like the main not i'm not a main character he's kind of like the overseeing figure of how um certain things happen for a reason so he goes about his garden and is responsible for create uh where you end up and then delirium or delight or formerly known as delight she's kind of she's an interesting character because she's kind of all over the place but she kind of it's she's kind of hard to explain but she kind of is responsible for happiness a bit and how sometimes happiness is confused with being delirious. So it's kind of a morbid view of like maybe happiness really isn't real and it's all 
you're kind of delirious for being happy, something along those lines. And then finally, Destruction, who unfortunately he only really plays a part in, I believe it's Brief Lives is where he ends up, but it's mainly, I'll go into him briefly, he he kind of is sick of being the embodiment of Destruction, so he kind of runs away. And hides in his own, like, pocket dimension where he can live happily. And uh, Brief Lives basically follows Dream and Delirium trying to find where Destruction went. And where he's at, he's happy and whatnot. And actually, one of my f- my favorite panel in this whole series comes from that one. I posted it earlier. It's with them walking by his house and the night skies all around them. It's beautiful artwork. But that that's um, the basic synopsis of the the characters, um, and each of them is littered throughout. It mainly focuses on Dream um, and his storytelling, and even the volumes that he's not like the main focus. He he's kind of overarching. You can tell he has effects on the story. So he's not totally gone. He's just not maybe the main character of that story. He just has a presence. There you go. That's a, that's a perfect word, presence. Um, so the first volume, Pre- Preludes and Nocturnes. This I actually read this more than once. I think this is a, a really great volume. Uh, I think it could have even um, stood on its own and been fine. I'm glad that they came out with at least eight more or nine more rather but uh preludes and nocturnes follows um it starts out with a magician uh what's his name roderick burgess he attempts to attain immortality by capturing the embodiment of death so they were trying to capture dream sister death so that they may have immortality. But instead of capturing her, they capture Dream instead, or Morpheus, our main character. And because they were afraid that death would come in, um, death or Dream would come and punish them for capturing Dream, they imprisoned Dream, which caused a worldwide epidemic of sleeping sickness and after burgess the the main magician had died his son alex had had held up the responsibility of watching dream and kind of the way it works is with a certain ritual done uh dream can't really escape so he's kind of he has to sit there and wait bored out of his mind because you know he can't technically die i shouldn't say that he has he's um he's basically almost immortal because he's the embodiment of dream and eventually eventually he escapes and and he punishes alex the guy who held up the 
the watching of Dream after his father died, and he Dream cursed him to experience an unending series of nightmares. So it's kind of almost worse than death. So he'd constantly, constantly have nightmares whenever he went to sleep. And just to back up a little bit, with um, Dream's absence, there were actually some people throughout the series, or actually in this volume, that play a a bigger role in the rest of the series that actually was sleeping for, I believe it was 70 years with like either no dreams or unrelentless dreams that they couldn't escape from because without the presence of dream to make sure you wake up and fall asleep, it you, you're not going to wake up. And then there was a guy who actually couldn't go to sleep because of that. So they, them capturing him really made an impact on that entire world. And just just to back up a little bit, this series was written in 89. So this is actually a relatively old series that actually has withstood the test of time quite well, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, going on, after, after he escapes, he returns to his... It's called The Dreaming. It's his world that he carries all of the... He creates all the dreams, and and it's a world where all the dreams live in, so that when you dream, you go to that world, and that's where your dreams reside. And with his absence, the world actually started to crumble, so that entire world or realm or reality, whichever one you want to call it, was severely damaged, and dreams were kind of unstable in his absence. And this... This world is actually really interesting, and I think the newer one, the newer series, actually um, draws more upon the dreaming. There's a lot of cool characters that um, reside in the dreaming that like peek, peek in and out of the series as a whole. One of them is the famed Cain and Abel, the two brothers, where, what is it, Cain, Cain constantly kills his brother but because he's a dream he comes back to life every time and they have a a little baby gargoyle gregory which is cute and then one of my favorites is uh matthew the raven who is kind of the messenger for dream he's a he's a crow no he's a raven wow i'm i'm done um and then lucian who's the librarian he's in charge of writing down all the dreams and storing them in the library and the entire first volume follows Dream trying to recover his totems of power because they've gone missing. One of them's a pouch of sand. Uh, one of them's a helm that kind of looks like a gas mask. And then a ruby. And they all give him his power back. And this is kind of where it gets even more interesting because this blends in a lot of DC characters into the world of Sandman. Um, for example, he, to find his pouch, he has to meet up with John Constantine and then, then to, um, recover his helm, he has to go into hell and he finds Lucifer who not only has his own comic book series, but currently has his own TV show. And that when he's in hell is really interesting because 
it's not he he battles a demon to get his helm back but it's not like a typical fight like between good and evil it's kind of a game of wits almost like in lord of the rings with Gollum and bilbo in in the uh the cave there but this one it's kind of like each um opponent has to come up with an uh, conjure like an animal or an entity that's more deadly and all-consuming than the previous one so it's kind of like a back and forth of who could think of a better better evil per se and needless to say that dream ends up winning and it all oh i almost forgot he also bumps into etrigan the demon who has a presence in a lot of comics nowadays whether it be justice league dark swamp thing even in the tv show he pops up and of course lucifer and then then to get his ruby who is um who is well the ruby is in possession of john d who's dr destiny so dr destiny has it and this is where it even gets more interesting because he was a patient in arkham asylum and was committed there by the justice league and like there's a couple scenes where they're in there and it shows it shows the scarecrow it shows dr destiny i believe two-face was in there he might have been let me let me look real quick. Oh, Martian Manhunt Martian Manhunter and Scarecrow were in there. And he has to go on a wild goose chase to find find Dr. Destiny. And this this volume really sets a tone in such a short volume compared to some of the others, too, because it introduces you to all of the characters, like all of his brothers and sisters, so a lot of the main characters that come back in other volumes to make a better impact. Of course, Dream, his world, the Dreaming, his relationship with uh, Death, because they, they're two of the closer siblings, and... He, uh, Dream himself is kind of, um, he, he's kind of hard to describe, but he is kind of a depressive, tragic hero that doesn't really come off as a hero. Um, some of his, you kind of question his motives a lot of the time because you don't know where it's going and then obviously it, it comes back and makes sense, but it kind of leaves you guessing throughout the whole thing, which is pretty cool. It makes you pay attention a lot more. I liked him a lot in this series. I really hope that he gets a proper TV adaptation, though it is quite hard, quite hard to give it to him because of the anthropomorphic personification of things. I can see it being well done if maybe the, um, as Ray was saying in one of the episodes, if uh, the Doctor Strange uh, effects, special effects were impl implemented. But even that's kind of not enough because there's a storytelling aspect to it. 
that that is very tricky to tell because of the complexity of the characters. So I th- may, and I I know that Netflix is doing a an adaptation for the first volume that I just talked about and it, if done precisely and carefully I think it could work pretty well. But it's kind of like the complexity with The Dark Tower where there's a lot to unpack. It's a whole new I think it's a very unique and different um and new way of world building and storytelling because because this series jumps around a lot between the dreaming hell earth and then the all these different pocket dimensions that are littered throughout like like um even his sisters and brothers have their own so destiny has his own pocket dimension death is kind of the only one that doesn't really i i didn't really see her um, and then despair has her own delirium has her own desire who is both male and female has its own so it's the way they would it would be very tricky to do i hope it does well but for now the comics are definitely the way to go and going on to each, each volume kind of carry something different and then the story really comes together in the last two volumes so i'll briefly go through a couple of them and the more unique ones like um i'll start with what is it dream country fables and reflections and world's end they're all different because they are short stories in each of them um, that kind of bring together smaller characters that play a more important role. Like in Dream Country, especially, there is a short story called Midsummer's Night's Dream. Yes, it's kind of a play on Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, and Shakespeare's actually befriends Dream, and it kind of shows how Dream causes Shakespeare to be famous. And actually, that short story won the World Fantasy Award in 1991 for Best Short Fiction. And altogether, the series has 26 Eisner Awards, including three for Best Continuing Series, one for Best Short Story, four for Best Writer, seven of Best Lettering, and two for Best Penciler and Inker. So that that goes to show you how well-received this series is. But going back to Dream Country... Uh, it's Dream Country is four short stories. Each of them introduce a new aspect to the world that plays a bigger role later on. Then Fables and Reflections, again, it's, it's the same concept. I believe there's more than four in that one, though. That one's more of a thicker, thicker book. And then World's End also. World's End is interesting because it starts with two characters... Um, driving a car and then they get into an accident and then they fa- find this like inn and the the purpose of the inn is to keep refugees of a world safe at the world's end so certain realities will come to an end and that's where they'll go so that they can be safe and then these two characters meet up with a bunch of different ones 
that are each telling different stories that later play an effect. But nothing really um, affects the story more than the first volume because even problems with hell, for example, um, problems with hell in the first volume end up playing a role in like volume nine. So a lot of it carries throughout the series. And what was I going to say? I don't know. It's, it's just a well done series. Um, and the challenge, like I said before, it's, it isn't really linear storytelling. It's very fluid and inconclusive as dreams often are. So it makes sense that the the writing and the storytelling fits the main protagonist antagonist. I'll leave that up to you. And it's very rich with literature, myths, histories, and legends. Like I said, in, in dream country, Shakespeare plays a role. They play a lot with DC, uh, in a smaller capacity. They play a lot with DC, DC universe characters. And has a lot of different creatures throughout, like gods, demons, dragons, obviously the anthropomorphic ravens and, and cats, witches, magicians, centaurs, Greek warriors, artists, actors. And then, yeah, of course, you have Cain and Abel, even Adam, scarecrows, children, everything. Um, oh, I should mention briefly, one of the coolest characters, I think, is the the wisecracking Merv. Merv is a character in The Dreaming who is kind of the, uh, we'll say he's the landscaper for The Dreaming, and he's got a pumpkin for a head, and he, he, play, he has a very cool end, tragic end, but cool end in, in Volume 9. I won't get into it because I want you guys to read it, but it's it's a very dark, but also very light storytelling. It like I don't know. I it's it. There's just so much to say about this series. It's very it's very complex, very rewarding to read. Does take a lot of time. There are ten. I'm planning on getting the other two volumes as well as reading the newer stuff because they rebooted read they reboot not not rebooted but they started i believe six new books that started out started last year one of them called the dreaming uh one of them called house of whispers one of them i believe is lucifer or 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 it focuses on lucifer let me look real quick i don't want to get the names wrong because Lucifer in the series actually gives up hell and opens his own bar and nightclub. And it ends up playing the piano. It's actually quite um, quite interesting the way they handle him. And then there's a Book of Magic, which I haven't... It, I read the first issue. It almost seems like a Harry Potter. A Harry Potter take. Um... It is called Lucifer. Um, what was the other one? Uh, Lucifer, House of Whispers, Book of Magic, 
the dreaming. They're coming out with a Hellblazer one that that hasn't come out yet, but that that will be coming out shortly. I think it's in November. And I believe that's it. But I mean, obviously you can't really beat the original. I believe Gaiman is overlooking the new the new ones, but he's not really he's not really writing it. And for those of you who don't know who Neil Gaiman is, he also wrote American Gods. He wrote Good Omens. He wrote this series. And there's one more. Um, American Gods, Good Omens, Sandman, and... There was one more really good one. It's blanking on me. Um, let me look it up real quick. I won't take too much more of your guys' time. Um, Coraline. He did Coraline. That's not the one that I'm looking for. Well, maybe that is. And then he did a book on Norse mythology. I have not read um, American Gods, and I have not read Good Omens. I saw the Good Omens TV show, which is very well done. I very much enjoyed that, but I haven't read anything but this series by him. I have American Gods sitting on my shelf. I should probably read it, but I think this is his magnum opus as far as him he goes um i think he's he's up there even on this series alone he's up there with stephen king i think he doesn't get enough credit he's got a very shakespearean horror vibe to his writing which is a very interesting um combination of the two but he does a very good job with this series it does read like a book like i said so it is it will take you quite a while to get through each of these it's got the old school like um 80s 90s um uh six or nine panel pages like uh the traditional comics used to have the only thing i will say that kind of hindered me a little bit reading this series is that because there's so many artists throughout the series some of the characters from previous volumes look a bit different so there are times where uh old characters will pop up and i'll think they're they're new ones because they they look quite different than the original drawing of them so it is really important to pay attention to the language throughout um i'm going to probably reread the entire thing at some point because i know i'm missing quite a bit of stuff in here that that um i just couldn't couldn't pick up on or i missed um i did take quite a while to read this series i think i got these for christmas last year and i'm just finishing them now so you do the math on that one i will say that preludes and nocturnes is probably my favorite it's a very good introduction there's a lot it's 
through and through a staple for dark fantasy. If if you were if I were to sum it up in one genre, it'd be dark fantasy. Though it does dive into quite of quite a bit of different things. Because obviously you have horror, then you have the Shakespearean stuff. Um, then you have like there's a couple of stories throughout that are basically a murder mystery. Plays with mental health a little bit. And again, it follows a tragic hero, which both ominous and good natured at heart. Overall, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal series in general. I don't know. Maybe I understand why they're making new ones now, but I would have left it alone. It, it's one of those things that can stand on its own, even if it was made 30 years ago. Um, but yeah, that that's the Sandman series. Neil Gaiman... Check it out. Thank you guys for listening again. And we hope to bring you guys a little uh, little episode later on about Joker. So take care, guys. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Do now. Gotta keep breathing. Because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring?